0: Let's pray. Lord, your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. We pray that as we read your scriptures this morning, that we would grow in our faith and that you would call us forward to be your remade people in Jesus Christ for this world. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 2. And they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. And now from 2 Timothy, starting with verse 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, Happy New Year, and actually still Merry Christmas. We're on the last Sunday of Christmas, as a matter of fact. And uh, by the way, it's 2015, so welcome to the future. Uh, You may, if you have been on Facebook or watching one of the morning news shows over the past week, uh, heard and seen people talking about uh, the fact that we are now in the year that was uh, depicted in that that great philosophical movie, uh, Back to the Future, Part two, in uh, Back to the Future 2, uh, Marty McFly goes from 1985 to 2015, what then seemed like the impossible future. And in that world, he encounters some things that, believe it or not, we actually have nowadays. Uh, They had flat screen TVs, now we have flat screen TVs. They had video phones, and I can get out, uh, you know, I can get out my phone and I can, uh, I can call somebody and, and see FaceTime right there, or Skype or whatever. We can actually, just like the movie, we can do that. Um, there is 3D technology that is a lot like what is shown in the movie. Some things we actually have that were shown in that movie. Some things we don't have. There are no flying cars, uh, which is a good thing. We're not very good at driving in two dimensions. I don't trust us in three dimensions. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there's some things we don't have, and it's probably good that we don't. There are some things that were in the movie that they thought would be everywhere that we find sort of laughably ancient now. Uh, in Back to the Future 2, people are sending all, fax, you know, fax machines are sending messages everywhere. And, I mean, who uses a fax machine anymore? I mean, there are a couple around, but that's not, that's not really how we do business nowadays. And, you know, and there's some things, there's some things in that movie that we might yet still have. There's a company in California that is building a hoverboard, a hovering skateboard. So it's 2015. Maybe this is a year you can finally get the hovering skateboard that you have always wanted ever since you watched Back to the Future 2. You know what's fascinating to me about how how up you know people have gotten about this this movie and, and thinking about what has come true and what has not is that. Um, you know, there's this, there's this sense that we have sort of the past, the present, and the future all crashing together. You have the past from 1985 and what they thought the future would look like. We have the present day, and we have this date which not long ago seemed like it was the impossible future, and still all of this futuristic stuff predicted in the movie that we still don't have. And it's kind of like the future has met us in the present. And actually... In the time of year the, of the church that we're in right now, that's, that's more or less what we're talking about. Today uh, is Epiphany Sunday. Technically, Epiphany is on Tuesday, but uh, today is the Sunday that we remember and celebrate it. And what Epiphany is, is uh, the, the story that we just read with the wise men from the East coming to find the child Jesus, probably at this point a couple of years old, but coming to see him. And what's significant about that is that they're not Jewish. They're not of the people of Israel. They're from these other people who've come to learn about Israel's God. And what is future about that is that if you go back to the Old Testament, uh, what had been uh, the hope for Israel, going back to Abraham, is that through them the whole world would be blessed. That's God's promise to Abraham. And then when you get to uh, Isaiah, you have passages where uh, Isaiah, for example, will talk about the nations streaming to Israel, coming to be a part of Zion, and recognizing what God had done through them. And what we see in this scene, this hoped-for future where the nations come to Israel, it starts to take place. The wise men from the east, these Gentiles, these folks who aren't Jewish, they're not Israel, they come and they worship, they bow down and pay homage to Israel's king, saying that your king, in effect, is our king. And so the future has started to come into reality. The promised future of God where all people worship Him together has started to come to reality in this scene where the wise men from the east come to worship Jesus. Now, that's epiphany, but for most of you, you're probably not thinking much about epiphany. Um, Most people don't think about it at all. For for most of us, what we're thinking about is the new year, and it's the time where we make resolutions. It's the time where we uh, think about what we're going to do over the next year, and we think about the year that's passed. But there's a similar idea at work there. Because when we make New Year's resolutions and we think about the person that we want to be at the end of 2015, we're doing something similar. We're thinking about how the hoped-for future for us might start to be real even right now. And that's why we resolve to be healthier. That's why we resolve to do a better job at work. That's why we resolve to be more studious. We come up with all of these plans for ourselves for the next year. Part of that draws from this same same logic of why people are currently obsessed with Back to the Future 2 and what epiphany means, the future coming in to the present. But you know, the problem is that when we make these resolutions, a lot of times, we, and especially when we make them in the spiritual realm, when we make resolutions to, say, uh, pray more, when we make resolutions to read the Bible more, Sometimes we do those, uh, we make those resolutions in unhelpful ways and in ways that aren't even perhaps healthy. Because you've probably done this before. You say, you know what, I'm going to read the whole Bible this year, and Monday I'll just do all of Genesis. Or I'm going to pray 12 times a day. And you, and you start off on good footing, and you'll be kind of going, and you might even keep it up a couple of weeks, but then, you know, you get in the the dregs of February, and all of a sudden you realize that you haven't read your Bible for a a week or so, or you haven't prayed for a week or so like you'd planned uh, to do. And so we fall off our resolutions, because we approach it from this rule mentality, that if I just do all the right things, then I'll be a good Christian. If I just do all the right things, then maybe God... Will love me. That's not a helpful way to approach our discipleship. It's not a helpful way to uh, approach even our discipline as Christians. So what I want to do over the next few weeks is to um, preach through a series I'm calling the, the Disciplines of a Disciple. The Disciplines of a Disciple. That's, that's redundant on purpose, because I want to draw attention to that word uh, Well, discipline. You know, a lot of times when we think of discipline, we think of things that we need to do. I need to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to be disciplined about it, I'm going to do all the right things. And obviously, there are things we have to do, and sometimes we need plans, and I'm going to talk about some good plans for you here in a little bit. But to be a disciple isn't mainly about the doing. It's mainly about the why. Because what the word disciple means is learner. A discipline is something that you do to learn. It comes from the Latin word to learn. So the disciplines of a disciple are those things that we do to learn as the people who've been called to learn at the feet of Jesus. And when we think about discipleship from the perspective of learning, it moves us a, a kind of a step away from that rule mentality where I've got to do X, Y, and Z, and then I'm a good disciple. And what it reminds us is that we are continuing, there's always more to learn, right? You can never do everything that you have to do. There's always more to learn. And there's no bad time to start learning. So if you get to February and you've fallen off your plan, you say, you know what, I'm a disciple. I'm, her- I'm here, I'm called to learn. I can begin again. I haven't flunked out. I can start going at this again. And give yourself a little bit of grace and a little bit of forgiveness to be renewed in that desire to learn from God. And why do we want to learn from God? That gets to the very core of the question. Why do we want to learn? We want to learn because of what we know that Christ has done for us in Jesus. And what we remember in Epiphany is that a light has gone out to all the nations, and that's us. And that this great story of God, which had begun with this little tribe in the Middle East has gone out to the whole world, and so that now it's available to us. And that started with the wise men coming from the east, and it's available to us now. We read the Bible to understand our place in God's story. The people from all over the world, represented by these wise men from the east, come to be a part of the story of Israel when they go and meet the child Jesus. And we, when we study God's Word, start to realize our place in the story of God's people. That's what it's about, and that's why we're called to learn. Not to satisfy some invisible standard of how much Bible you should read or how much you should pray, but to to be who God has called you to be and to understand what God is doing in your life, and you need the Scripture as a resource to do that. In fact, that's what the very early church did. They had this story of God's people with Israel, the Hebrew Bible. We call it the Old Testament. And they had this story in this foreign language that had fortunately been translated into Greek. And they had to tell this story of this obscure little group from the Mideast to a world that was predominated by Roman and Greek culture. And so they go out. They go out telling this story and making this story real for people who didn't know anything about it. Who didn't know anything about it. And the way they did that was Scripture. And translating that and bringing it to people who didn't know about it. And the way that the New Testament gets written is that Jesus' disciples and his His people who are going out there into the world and are trying to tell the story of Jesus and are trying to explain to people, this is where you fit into it. Start writing histories and gospels and letters to each other to explain what that meant. To explain what it meant for, uh, for Jews and Gentiles to, be, to worship the same God together and how that was made possible by the gift of Jesus to us. The Bible itself was written to help us understand our place in God's story. That's what it's about. Now notice what I didn't say. Notice what I didn't say. I didn't say that we read the Bible to put God in our debt. Sometimes we approach it like that. We say, God, if you'll do this for me, I'll read the Bible, you know, I'll read all of the Old Testament or whatever. And sometimes we approach the Bible with the mentality that it puts God in our debt when we've read enough or done enough. That's a bad mindset. Right? That's thinking that you can never put God in your debt. I mean, God has given you your very life, and God has given you salvation, in Jesus... You reading the Bible X number of times isn't going to make God owe you anything. It doesn't work that way. But sometimes subtly, sometimes subtly, that's what we were thinking. Notice what else I didn't say. I didn't say that if you read the Bible enough, God will love you more. God's already loved you and has given himself up for you in Jesus before the New Testament was ever written. So God's love for you predates the written word in Scripture. But what Scripture will do is tell you about God's love for you. And we've got to realize, too, that we live in a uniquely privileged time in history. Um, most people in the 21st century in America are literate. They can read. For most of history, people were not literate. And many, many Christians through the centuries haven't been able to read the first word of the Bible. God didn't love them any less. And, of course, there are people now who still, who still struggle to, to learn to read. God loves them just the same. And, of course, that's what makes it important for us as Christians to bring God's Word to them, whether it's by reading to them, getting it to them in a translation they can understand, teaching people to read, etc. But the point is that reading the Bible isn't going to make God love you more. God already has loved you. This is to tell you about that story. Notice what else I didn't say. The Bible isn't a magic book. Sometimes we approach scripture with this mentality that, you know, I'll, I'll flip to whatever page and the first verse that I see is gonna tell me something. And God can use your your broken way of reading the Bible. But that's not, that's not, the Bible never tells you to do that. That's a magic book mentality to the Bible, rather than approaching the Bible as God's love story to you. Uh, rather than as approaching the Bible as um, God helping you to see where you fit into what he's done and what he's called you to in Jesus. One other thing I didn't say, and, and this, this might ruffle some feathers, so I hope you understand me correctly. I didn't say that the Bible is God's uh, instruction book or rule book for life. All right. Now, hear me, hear me here. Sometimes what people say when they say that the Bible is God's instruction book or, or instruction manual, is a good thing. Sometimes what they mean is is simply that, you know, the Bible contains the commandments of God that we should learn from, and of course we should. Sometimes what they mean is that the Bible will help us to grow in wisdom, and yes, it does. And if that's what you mean by the the Bible as being God's instruction book, then great. I totally agree with you. Sometimes, though, what people mean when they say that the Bible is God's instruction book is that they're bringing a mentality to the Bible that it's going to tell you exactly what to do in any given situation in your life. And the Bible simply doesn't do that. It's not meant to do that. The Bible is meant to help you to understand what God has done in the world, what God's done through Israel, what God has done through Jesus, how God God has called you to salvation in Jesus, and then how you live in wisdom and obedience in response to that. And if you're living in wisdom and obedience that has been informed by the Bible, that if you've been instructed in that way, then the things that come into your life that you can never predict and maybe can't even do anything about, you can approach with holiness and wisdom. That's how the Bible is intended to work. Paul puts it like this. Paul puts it like this. He's writing, by the way, to Timothy. And Timothy is a great example of this story Story of what happens when people who are foreign to God come into contact with God. Timothy's mother's Jewish; his father's Greek. He's raised in a Greek culture. We know this because in Acts it talks about um, Paul needing to circumcise him to go and uh, evangelize uh, certain others in who are still in the synagogue. So we know that Paul was raised, or that Timothy was raised in a Greek culture. And so to this guy who is part Jewish, but is Greek in the way that he has lived his life up until this point, he writes this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. So what do we get here? When you read the Scripture, what Paul is telling Timothy, when you read the Scriptures, what you get out of it is an understanding of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first point of reading the Bible. Whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, for the Christian, it's to point us toward Jesus. It's to help us to understand the Word of God in Jesus. When we say the the Bible is the Word of God, what Paul, and and that's right in in a sense, what Paul is saying here is that that Scripture is God-breathed. That's what inspired means. God has put His breath into it, to draw us toward salvation in Jesus Christ. So the Bible is to point us toward Jesus as Christians. So that's the first reason you read it, to understand what the meaning of your life in connection to Jesus. And then the next thing that he says is that it's for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. What's he saying there? When you read the Scripture, you learn what it means to, as Paul puts it in another place, uh, to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. You, te- you learn, the Scripture points us toward salvation in Jesus, and then knowing salvation in Jesus, it points us out from that to face the world that God has called us to in which He wants us to do good work in His name. And by learning our story and who we are in relation to what God has done through the Bible, We can start to do that. You see how that's different from approaching the Bible as a rule book or as like I've got to read X, Y, and Z and I've kind of checked the boxes. If you're just checking the boxes, it's easy to check boxes. If you're just checking boxes, it hasn't changed your life. But if you understand the Bible as pointing you toward a new life in Christ and pointing you out from there into the world, that's a way different mentality. And it's going to last longer. Because it's coming, you're you're reading the Bible because it's coming from the depth of your soul, and not because um, you think you've got to just fulfill the requirements. Now, that all of that is to say, it's not a bad thing, of course, to have a plan, to have an approach to reading the Bible. So I wanted to give you some some tips. Okay, I'm gonna come gonna come down with this, and y'all had these. It looks like they got passed around, and that's great. And we can keep the extras around for anybody who wants it next week. Okay, there are two ways to read the Bible that I would recommend if you don't already have a reading plan. Now, if you're doing something and it's working for you, that's great. If you already consistently study the Bible and and you have a plan that you want to keep up with, not knocking it. If it works for you, great. But if you don't, here are two ways you could go about it. The first is the printout that you see here on the, on the first page, this 52-week Bible reading plan. Uh, I came across this recently, and I really like it, because what happens to people very often is that you'll get to the middle of you know, Leviticus, and you get bogged down, and you give up. Now, you great Mount Pleasant people are a different breed, because y'all have gotten all the way to Judges by your, you know, together, so maybe this doesn't apply to you, but that's true for many people, at least. So if it's true for you, maybe take this approach. And what this plan does is it divides up, uh, it assigns each day a different kind of writing in the Bible. So you'll have, you know, here the epistles, that's the letters of the New Testament, the law, history, prophets, poetry, prophecy, and then gospels. And so you're not reading the same book day after day. You'll come back to it, you know, the next week. So that could be helpful for you. I'd encourage you to give it a shot. Um, the other advantage to this is it starts to help you see how the different parts of the Bible relate to one another and how they inform each other, so it's a good reason to do it that way. Now, another thing that you might do, and this is what I do personally, is to follow the, uh, and I have some other stuff I do too, of course, but but this is my sort of base, base system. Um, it's the uh, daily office lectionary. And what that is is a pattern of reading that's meant to accompany daily prayers. And we'll talk about prayer later on. I have a couple of resources here for you. Prayer is the sermon two Sundays from now. Okay? So this is a pattern of reading that's meant to accompany and inform your prayers. And so it has a passage from the Old Testament, a uh, psalm, a gospel reading, and then a reading from elsewhere in the New Testament. And over a two-year period, it, it takes you through the whole Bible, more or less. And so that's what I use. If you want to, if you are the type of person who's kind of type A and you like a system, this could this could fit for you. Um, and it could fit especially well if you're going to do the, the daily office prayers. So, more you could, one to four times a day: so morning, uh, noon, evening, and night, which is what which is what I, I try to do. So if you want to approach prayer like that, this could be a good way to to tie it in to that pattern of prayer. Either way is great. You don't have to do either. If you want to pick it up with Genesis 1-1 and go on to the end of Revelation, more power to you. And if that works for you, great. I've got no no problem with that whatsoever. I just want to give you some resources. You can also find on this website here um, the ESV Through a Bible in a Year. Um, There are other there are other Through the Bible in a Year programs, and of course, there's a lot of great stuff out there. And if you don't have internet access, and you don't like this one, um, and you want to do something else, let me know, and I can help you find something that might, that might work for you. Okay. Um, also on this sheet, because it's New Year, people are making New Year's resolutions, it wouldn't surprise me if some of y'all are saying, you know, I need to pray more this year. And like I said, I'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But if you're thinking about that already, let me point you to a few things here. Uh, the first is the, the Upper Room. It's a great Methodist devotional, short, short devotional with a passage from the Bible and prayer. Good way to do it. Uh, another one I, I like and have, has helped me in the past is My Utmost, My Utmost for His Highest. And you can actually, you can, you'll see that in like drugstores everywhere. But you can also find it online for free. So uh, utmost.org, it's a good Bible study. And then these last two on this list are daily office. I use, I use these two all the time. Listen to Trinity Mission on the way in today, praying. So if you would like a more sort of, formal isn't the right word, but a, a uh, structured way of praying, that can be really helpful. For me, it's, it's really, really helpful. Um, A couple of things, other things I might point you to, uh, if you have a smartphone, you know, an Apple or an Android or whatever, uh, a couple of good apps I would recommend uh, that can help you keep up with your Bible reading. One is just Bible, just search Bible, and it'll be from Life Church TV. It has a ton of reading plans on there. You can set it to where it'll read it to you, okay? If, If you're an auditory learner, if that just works better for you, you can do that. Um, Lots of great Bible reading plans there um, if you want to find one. Also, Logos Bible, that's what I often use. Logos is better for uh, not so much devotional purposes, but study purposes. It's got a a lot of good language tools, and that's a really good one if if you're looking for something like that. And then finally, um, some prayer resources uh, in apps. Uh, The Mission St. Clair has an app. It'll put that prayer right there. You can go through it. It'll have the Bible readings and everything right there. And then uh, the same thing with uh, a different thing called Common Prayer from a guy named Shane Clayboard. Great book. That one costs a little bit, I mean like $10 or something like that. I use that one often too. It has Bible reading, prayer, and um, even songs all incorporated right there together. So great, great resource. You don't have to do any of those things, all right? If you have your own plan, that's great. But what I want you to encourage you to do is to go into this year with um, a desire to read the Bible. Not to fulfill a certain number of rules. Not to you know, think you're checking the box. But because you know that when you go to Scripture, you're encountering Jesus. You know, it's 2015, we don't have flying cars. But we can fly to the feet of Jesus. We can fly to the feet of the apostles and the prophets simply by opening a book or going to a web page and finding the Word of God that's there for us. So, will you commit this year to having a plan to read the Bible? Not, it doesn't even have to be the whole Bible, but something to help you to get into God's Word on a daily basis. Will you say yes? Yes, okay. We'll go from here. We'll talk about uh, further disciplines of a disciple over the next couple of weeks. I might see if I can recruit Terry Paul to to, to teach on the same topics from his perspective and if that works for him. Um, There's no such thing as too old or too young to do this. Um, At least here, well, I told Lila and Jacob at at Mount Oliver, too young, uh, because they can't read yet. But other than that, this is something that anybody can do. And so let me encourage you to make this the foundation of your prayer the foundation of everything else that you do as a Christian this year. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we are grateful for your scriptures. We're grateful for the way that you have brought us to be in your people. And we pray that by studying your word, we would come to understand each day what it means to be a part of your story in the world and what it means to be uh, the people who have been called out by your grace. Lord, all this we ask in the name of your Son and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.